welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hi, hey, Paul. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you today? Hey, good, mate. It's, uh, well, I mean, we always record those on a Friday morning, so it's something to look forward to all week to catch up with you as a non kind of, well, this is work, but it's not really work. But uh, <laughs> the sun is shining here, and so it's um, always a good day when the sun is shining. Uh, same here. I know we, we try not to talk about the weather too much, but it's the sunshine for the first time in a week. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Literally, we've had Seattle-type <laughs> weather here for a week, so it's it's nice to actually see the sunshine and get out and go for a walk later. So so I was over-ambitious with the Jeep and left the roof off and uh, went to bed, and the next day realized it had rained overnight. So I learned very quickly where that the Jeep has plugs in the floors you can pull, which drains the water out of the bottom of the car, and that the carpets can come out quite easily. So they're now drying in my laundry. Wow. Yeah. Well, there you go. But it is really nice. You have a place that's notorious for its precipitation, yet you leave the roof off. Yeah, I know. I should really <laughs> just either park it in the garage, which is full of crap, or uh, <laughs> put the roof back on every night. But um, I really just wish I had that in Australia. I should have had this car when I was there, but for whatever reason, just never got to it. I can imagine your garage because my daughter's garage with, you know, two kids at home with a two-year-old and an infant is just full of baby stuff. So I can imagine yours is similar. <laughs> and you hold on to it because you're like, well, you know, we'll use this again. And like, so there's like a whole nursery full of stuff in there, which I think we're just going to Craigslist in the next few weeks because I'm just sick of seeing it. Uh, well, it won't be the next few weeks because there's an event in a couple of weeks that Probably is taking up a bunch of your time. Huh? There, there is a little bit of work going on behind the scenes at the minute. <laughs> Every April, May is busy because uh, we launch or we plan to launch a lot of announce a lot of stuff as a company around build, and then we have to like glue this all together in an event and have sessions and make sure everyone's kind of managed uh, expectations on where their stuff's going to show up in what sessions. And so it's Friday, the 1st of May. And um, last night, the registrations opened for build 2020. So it's free. And um, one thing that we've done is, uh, which Scott Hanson one kind of said really well there's a blog post he did in a video we'll add to the links where he talks about the fact that you know we're coming to you this time so it's going to be a full virtual event and not only are we coming to you in terms of you can tune in um, online but uh, we're also accommodating all the time zones around the world a little bit of what we did with MVP Summit honestly with MVP Summit we've replayed our sessions in the mornings and in the evenings but for Build we're actually doing it for a 48 hour continuous stream and so there are certain session types, these live sessions, uh, that are basically going to be replayed twice. The speakers and experts from engineering and the field will actually be on as Q and A to answer questions. And so, yeah, it's been a it's been a amazingly quick transformation. Scary in some ways how quickly this has happened. As of now, the schedule isn't released, but I have been told it will be released today. So. Um, by the time this is published and out on Monday the 4th, um, you should be able to get the sessions. And there are some really, really good M365 stuff. Um, there's also a lot of cool stuff outside of M365, but obviously I have that bias. And so I'm really looking forward to it. Definitely, definitely watch the M365 keynote. Yina is a star of that. Um, there's some awesome content there. And um, there's, from a graph perspective, some 
like foundational sessions that Yina and Daryl are doing and a what's new session that um, Vincent Beret has been in the show and Alicia Yang, who's um, in our team is doing. And on top of that, there's a whole heap of workloads pitching their new APIs on the graph as well. And teams are doing a bunch of stuff. And um, I am doing with Nikola Matulev, who's been on the show a few times from the Microsoft Graph Toolkit, uh, a three hour live coding session on Twitch We've, um, the last few weeks, we've been coming up with ideas um, and Nicola's come up with the best idea and um, we're going to build it essentially from scratch. And as we go, we're going to talk through it. I've done a few experiments in the last few weeks on this and, you know, I don't mind being wrong and I don't mind other people coming on and showing me because I like learning. And it has been a fair while since I've worked on some of this modern tech. Like I've helped build some stuff, but I haven't built stuff from scratch. And so I'm, I'm hoping people who join... You know, they're going to learn as I'm learning in some of these cases. So um, it should be should be a lot of fun. And obviously, I bring a lot of the expertise of the graph stuff to it. So it will be a good good build. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I am signed up. I'm registered, ready to go, excited to do it. And uh, I did watch Scotch's video and the, the list of names are who you expect. So and, uh, obviously, all the Azure folks are listed on there as well. And so I know that's a little alongside our podcast, but the, there's some good stuff happening there. And uh, I'm excited to see what stuff Graph rolls out. And I might stay up late and do the Azure stuff later. <laughs> yeah, and it'll all be on demand too. So even if you miss like the seeing it live within that 48 hour period um much like all of our other conferences everything will be on demand so um yeah it's gonna be awesome i'm really looking forward to it it's gonna be fun yeah see i i got i got approval to spend two days attending build and air quotes there so if i don't watch the videos in those two days i'm sure what's gonna happen is i'll be busy and hard to but but the it's great that it's there that's so true like i always remember the first time this happened with when they used to do like the CDs of different events and you'd be like, Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to watch all these when I get back from the conference. And then you never ever do because you're just so busy or you do once you need to use a tech and some often the videos are a lot easier to watch from in. That's my learning preference is to see someone do it. Yeah. So not never because, um, at the best or at the uh, the evolutions conference, they did CDs. Yeah, this is about a decade right. ago, yeah. and and I ended. I got the CDs, and I ended up watching it like uh, two and a half months ago, just because they get a kick out of how I looked back. <laughs> <laughs> so here it is, ten years later, and all the tech is obsolete. So I did watch the video. I can't say never, but it, it certainly wasn't timely. <laughs> we uh, we just did a every Friday morning out at Yina's team is doing a games day, games hour, and uh, Daryl last week did one on uh, it was a. Uh, scavenger hunt and so questions were like find the oldest microsoft open source project or find the longest serving person at microsoft that works in azure or uh, find yina's oldest powerpoint deck <laughs> that one was actually harder than it needed to be and yina won because it was in her OneDrive and not shared with anyone else uh, <laughs> Um, but then it was find the oldest published video of Jeremy. And I was like, oh, no, what's going to come up? And I didn't even know this, but it was from an Australian tech head where I'd shaved my head completely, um, which didn't last very long and never, ever returned to my hairstyle collection. <laughs> so everyone had a good laugh at that. So it was, a, it was really good fun. And, for you know, with everything that's going on, snapping, I mean, it, technically it's work related, I guess, but just having a bit of fun like that just really helped because... Um, it can feel a little bit like I'm 
from my perspective that uh, I'm in my office at home a lot uh, with everything going on. And I have been playing a lot of computer games in the evenings once um, my daughter's gone to bed. And so it's in the same chair again in the evenings. <laughs> so any Call of Duty players out there, please let me know. Um, Aussie Grit, where the eyes are ones, if you want to add me as a friend on uh, uh, as an Xbox tag in uh, Call of Duty. I'm assuming you don't play games, Paul. I do not. I do not. Although I have, I've dug out my Kindle because I used to just read when I would travel because on the airplane, I didn't want to try to bother with anything other than that. So like you've been stuck in the office in the same chair all day. So I said, that's it. I'm done. So I dug out the Kindle and lo and behold, there's probably a dozen books that I've favorited over the last you know year or so. So digging into that. So old school. But um, there's no rest for the wicked here. And uh, other than build, which obviously is consuming a lot of everyone's time at the moment because it is so new doing it this way. And a lot of people, you know, at home don't have the setups that, you know, we're fortunate enough to have with like podcast recording and stuff. And so people are learning how to do all that stuff um, at great speed, breakneck speed. And some cases like webcams are sold out and microphones are sold out. So Microsoft's been helping out to get all that set up. So it's been fun to watch this thing. I'm really excited to see how well it lands. And uh, as I was saying, the rest of the wicked, the Microsoft Graph Toolkit team um, kind of borrowed the success that Brian Jacket and Shrivanaz and a few other folks that built the 30 Days of Graph blog series did and um, are actually writing an, a, a lap around Microsoft Graph Toolkit blog series. We started two weeks ago now. Um, and uh, they've had people in their team write posts. Uh, Beth Pan has been driving this, who's in um, the PAX team that basically are building out Microsoft Graph Toolkit, and Elise Yang and Nicola have written some, and Cam Dwyer, and uh, a really cool one too, because it was all about templating. Uh, It was Hugo Bernier, yep, has done one, which is great. And so if you haven't followed these, they're really good because they break down the learning of this into very digestible chunks. And these are coming out twice a week. They're not every day like we did before, but doing them twice a week and people are, you know, giving us really good feedback on them and the talk is awesome. And we'll be showing that a lot at build. Um, so definitely check that out if you haven't already. Um, and then the other thing was Jason Johnston, who's in our team um, continues to crush it on producing tutorials and quick start content for all the different platforms and languages we're just about to release a um, an ASP.NET Core tutorial that uh, we've been working on with the identity team because they've made some changes to um, how they want us to do identity. But um, there's all a whole heap of updates in there. We re- we basically refresh those every quarter. And so if you are doing anything with the graph and you want to make sure you know you're doing the the best practice way of calling with MSAL and handling things in the graph i definitely recommend just kind of going and refreshing yourself by looking at those tutorials Um, if you're brand new to the graph and you haven't tried this the tutorials basically i mean if you are experienced dev it's going to take you probably like 15 minutes to go end to end from a file new in whatever language you're using and if you have all the prereqs and if you're you know taking your time to learn it probably takes about 30 minutes to go through those tutorials but it's a great way to learn how to get started with the um with the graph so definitely go check those out and then we found a bunch of community news this week because it turns out you guys are all busy as well sharing content. What what have you found out there, Paul? The, the, well, this one, not necessarily community. One thing I found is a, a new 
offering called Visual Studio Code Spaces. And I, and I bring this up because it kind of ties into what you're saying about prereqs and stuff. The idea around this is uh, the, the team do that's hosting Visual Studio Online is the, the name they used to call it. But you can imagine it's a, it's a container that's spun up in the cloud, currently just Linux, but Windows is coming. And you can then connect to it using Visual Studio Code locally on your machine. So you can, it's basically remote compute or like a VM, if you will. But you can imagine if you get... I'm looking into this because as we want to scale our development team, maybe I can get all the prereqs configured, set up, and just do this as a as a hosted server, so so to speak. And so this code spaces can be helpful for us to get connected really quick. And then I start writing code. I have to worry about any of those other things with you know configuring my machine, download 18 gigabytes of Node for whatever reason. It always seems to to slow you down. So that's that was one great um, item that I found out there that I'm looking forward to kicking the tires on that. And significantly, they announced the cost. It's going to be like 17 cents an hour. Or something. Something like that, which is really kind of—it's uh, a deal, right? Yeah, yeah, it's real still, I think. Uh, Nick Molnar is the PM on this, who coincidentally is a good friend of Daryl's, who I got introduced to because Daryl's remote and travels in, and uh, they tend to arrange to come into town on campus at the same time, and so when we go out for beers and drinks. Um, we all catch up, and it's been really interesting to hear, hear what he's doing over there with that, and. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, he'd shared a lot last time he caught up, but uh, there's some really cool parts of this announcement you should go check out. And also the live share stuff has uh, just been invaluable, especially with remote work at the moment. Daryl gets extremely frustrated uh, trying to verbally tell me what to do in code and often just wants to grab the keyboard and now he can virtually <laughs> grab it with live share. So, um, yeah, the tech's been very, very cool to use. Um and so definitely, definitely go check that out. And we're going to kick the tires on this too from a graph kind of M365 side too. Um, we have a lot of samples out there that, you know, they do have a fair amount of prereqs and stand up time. And um, if we can streamline that with code spaces, it might make everyone's lives a bit easier. So we'll, we'll explore that. And there's a few people that are showing interest externally um, to help explore that too, which is cool. And then I saw some good blog posts um, as on our travels. I will call out that there's a few people that reached out because we're doing a community call on Tuesday. So when this comes out on the fourth, the following day, there's a community call. And um, a few people have reached out with content for the community call that I wasn't even aware of their blogs, quite honestly. And so um, there's a Medium blog by uh, Anoop, who is actually at Content and Code in the UK, with um, Chris O'Brien and he's blogged about um, GitHub actions that create uh, calendar events using the calendar API in the graph. And so the idea is, is that when a pull request is submitted to a dev in a, like a dev branch, it will go and create a calendar event in their calendar to schedule them to review that PR, which is actually really cool. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really like the idea of that scenario. And so in the blog, he explains how he's done it and, uh, he's going to present that live in the community call on Tuesday as well. If uh, you jump on the community call. So that, that was one. And then, uh, Yao Mendez, uh, blogged about, we talked about this before, right, Paul? It was about the, the, my apps web app. Do you want to talk a bit more about this one? Yes. It, to give you some context, uh, we we found uh, like a blog post from the Azure Azure team about updating the My Apps, the you know if you uh, Azure AD apps registered, and and this was kind of a corollary in that uh, Joe put up a, a 
SPFX web party that would do like personalized apps. I could I could have a, a collection of apps that were relevant to me and put it on the SharePoint page. And so now this is kind of a follow on to that. And so the tech here that he's using is he's gone through and used the the open extensions capability on Microsoft Graph. So he can attach some data to a user. So kind of, you know, it's a lightweight storage, if you will, for 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 him to put the apps that Paul selects, which could be different than the apps that Jeremy selects. Right now, I, the, you can't use this extension to store, you know, 18 gigabytes of data because <laughs> you don't want to pay for a, a, a database. But you can certainly um, this is a great example of how to go through there. And he's actually got code snippets and and the data listed here of, of what he's doing to create an extension and then uh, post the data into there based on the user uh, doing some work. So um, and he mentions there is a limit of two kilobytes of data is all that you can do and, and an app can have two extensions per resource so again you can't you can't use it for everything but this is nice and i'm really glad that he went through and and did this um step by step so a great great contribution and really really like this yeah and it's a cool scenario as well like we use uh the app launcher a lot internally at microsoft but being able to visually show things like embedded into an internet homepage for those that maybe don't know about the app launcher and like training or whatever is too hard across a large company and just visually be able to see all those things straight when you land on the homepage is like a super good value add for sure. Um, and then as another example, Darren, uh, who has built, I guess it's going to be a yet another present story, <laughs> but uh, Darren has basically built a different scenario than using presence, which was kind of cool. He um, he is using a Wemo smart plug and a a Heidi swap light box. Not heard of that. I have Wemo smart plugs at home, and he's using ift so the if then else aspects with um, a, a a trigger a webhook trigger. And basically, he's changing the light color to indicate whether he's busy or not. Now, the difference in his approach with using Logic Apps to do all this with Ift is that he's looking at the calendar um, to understand whether he's available or not, rather than looking at the status set in Teams. And I actually quite like this because often I'm in calls where it will say I'm busy because I'm on a call, but it's not something that like... Scarlet, my daughter, couldn't walk in and interrupt me for. You know, if it's just a one-on-one, -on -one, then, you know, they he, she can walk in and come say hi to Ina. Whereas like with a podcast call or if I'm doing an interview loop or where I'm interviewing people for a team or something, um, you know, those kind of things really, I, I don't want to be disturbed. And so this solution allows me to kind of categorize calendar entries um, and have logic that will change that light based on that rather than presence, which I really, really like. I think that's very, very cool. So um, you can go check that out. He's got the whole solution there in the GitHub and different things to do. Yeah, I, I agree. Reading the calendar is a little bit better than, than just presence as well. So yeah. specifically, because right now it, people in the office think I'm, I'm offline because I've switched tenants to do the podcast recording, right? So that's not necessarily a, a, a great way. How, how would that work with presence as well? Yeah. So yeah. I, I like the calendar bits. Yeah. So I kind of like that solution. Um, obviously, presence is definitely there. And um, Isaac Levine is going to be showcasing that the one that he did in a community call at build as well and that's all open source too so there's a few options for different ways you can do this um but uh that was just another yet another way that you could kind of get that kind of indicator light to say stay out when there's meetings going on 
And then there was one more that we found that seems to be from someone we recognize, Paul. <laughs> yeah, so our last episode, had I had a, a couple folks from the Adaptive Cards team. And so I, I won't go on anymore about how much I love Adaptive Cards. But uh, at the end of that, I mentioned that Hugo Bernier, who you, you mentioned earlier, had written an Adaptive Card web part. And so... I pick, I had I had started work on one of those before, and I picked that up. And and with what I'm do, working on, you know, at, at my my day job, I, I'm kicking the tires on the latest React bits around the context and hooks and and reducers and stuff. And so, and I had a, a adaptive card solution that we're using, you know, it, here here at Add Three Six Five just to optimize the build process and communicating builds with the rest of the staff and so on. So it, it was a nice little bit to build on top of that. And I took it as an opportunity to say, well, I started with a, a classic class-based SPFX web part. And what would it take to use some of these new tech on that? So there's an updated sample and we, we made a copy of the sample. So both of them are there if you want to you know compare and contrast or, or whatever. But then in addition, I put up a blog post that kind of describes how I approached it. And, and I wanted to talk about it here because I don't know that it's the right way to do this. Again, I just learned React when SPFX came out and I'm just learning about the React hooks because I'm reading a ton of stuff on the internet and just throwing code and see what works. So by all means, I'm happy to get feedback. So either on Twitter or, or commenting or whatever, if you know me, send me an email. I'm happy to get feedback about the right way to do this. Figure we can all get better at, at doing this if we if we learn out loud, so to speak. So um, it was great. Interesting. I, there's a lot, a lot of the tech I like. A lot of it seems to be ceremony and flourish that maybe I could optimize, but then maybe that's not the best choice for someone else who's new. So, so again, it's, it's, it's a typical learning experience. So I'm, I'm glad that uh, Hugh Gog started on that. And I look forward to anyone who's got ideas or thoughts or whatever. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I, I I'm on the journey with react still. Um, I jump in and jump out of it every now and again. And I, I think there's a lot of transfer between different languages I've learned, but there are still some nuances to it that, Digging around, hunting and pecking for things is is harder. I also went through and did a refresher in my head for ASP.NET Core as well. And some of the magic behind like the MVC nature of that and how it does the routing on the controllers and the views is kind of, uh, it takes a little bit of getting used to too. So um, I enjoy the learning though. I do enjoy the learning of picking it all up again. I have to say I, I elect to do attribute routing because when I'm on a controller, I'd like to see the route to that controller right there instead of having to remember what the black magic is under the covers. But again, that's just me. So, so you actually predefine it in the code? Yeah, for the most part. Yeah. 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 I, I think if I was doing a big product, I would certainly do that, especially for a new dev coming in. It just makes it a lot more. There's less magic that's going on yeah yeah for the sake of a few lines of prescribed code to do it yeah you know if it was web pages maybe not so much because that's easy to understand if i'm in a in a view and there's a link to a you know slash xyz that's kind of understandable but but certainly when it's apis yeah. and stuff like that but yeah so that i yeah it's 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 great it's a great time i think to be a developer there's lots of new tech lots of things you can learn and yeah, yeah. and cool. and tying this back uh the the visual studio code spaces right i can i can create an environment there and if i work on it for two half hours it's going to cost me 50 cents us to to learn some of this tech without messing up my machine why would you not do that right so yeah yeah it's so true yeah being able to just kind of fried away at the end of it yeah for that kind of money is really really nice i i will give a plug to um uh, edge as well we've been doing a lot of teams dev and calling back into web api running in azure and troubleshooting with their developer tools and looking at the network tab and the sources tab 
and stepping in, breaking into code both on the client side and on the server side. It's actually really cool how far those dev tools have got now with all this stuff. It's been a while since I've had to do that kind of level of troubleshooting, but man, you'd be kind of hosed without all that stuff, being able to do all that now. Um, you know, so that the, the, we're, as you said, we're recording this the 1st of May and, and the next episode, not this one, but the next one, I actually got some folks from Edge team to talk. We didn't go into the detail about the dev tools, right? And so Avi talked a little bit about Chrome-based Edge and what it can do. And so that's coming. And, and then, but now your point about the developer tools and stuff like that, we might, uh, we should probably try to find someone who can be an expert on how to use those dev tools and troubleshoot things like that. Cause I think it would be helpful. So. Oh, I'm sure there's some stuff in there that once you see it, you're like, Whoa, I'm yes, just indeed. scratching the surface with it. So, um, that, that'll be cool. I'm looking forward to the episode because you did that with the crew this week, and I we're trying to make it so there's only one interviewer in each guest part of the segment. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to that one. That'll be great. Yeah, but this week you did an interview. So what'd you do this week? Yeah, we're doing one with Juan, who has been on the show. It was a while ago now, um, and he at the time he was working on Excel APIs, and he's now on the Outlook. Uh, add-in model and so we're talking a lot about like where Outlook add-in model has gone and all the new features there uh, sorry he was on Word not Excel um, on the Outlook side of the house and so um, he's a really not good friend of mine and um, it's always good to get him on the show and uh, yeah so it'll be a lot of fun so I hope you enjoy it and um, we'll see you next week where we'll talk about Edge and Identity yeah. alright see ya cheers Paul Okay, I'm here with Juan today. How are you doing, buddy? Hey, Jeremy. Good. How are you? It's good. been a good day. I've um, been out with uh, my daughter today, playing in a park to get a bit of a break and, and get her out of being bored watching dad work and watching mum work. So it's been nice to get outside in the sun here in uh, Washington. What have you been up to? Uh, yeah, the day is beautiful today. Uh, well, working from home, man, you know, we're staying at home these days and plus... Uh, I am planning to enjoy the sun later today. It's funny because um, I've brought you up on the show quite a few times. I mean, you've been on the show before, but uh, you've, you know, whenever we catch up, you're always saying how much, you know, you listen to the show when you're riding to work. And I always try and get you to stumble on your bike by saying something funny, but now you're actually on the show. So <laughs> yes. I doubt you're going to listen to your own episode. <laughs> it's it's going to be funny to listen to myself while riding. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, I've been not riding quite much lately so i've been missing some of your episodes but it's weird i've not been consuming podcasts because i always do it when i'm driving to work um and i think i just find other ways of occupying myself like i'd find it quite odd to listen to a podcast sitting at a computer it's definitely something that i do if i'm um, driving to work on my own yeah it's an interesting medium i mean it's very popular for sure but there's definitely certain ways people consume it for sure yeah, and it's exactly what I do. You know, when I'm commuting, I uh, I have the time to to listen to all this, and and well, it's great to be here uh, again with you and and share with with the folks what we're doing. I mean, it's exciting because we've worked together for quite a while now. I mean, I we definitely worked more closely when I was in the marketing role. Yes. Um, when I was kind of pushing office add-ins back in the day when it first kind of shipped, um, and. You've kind of moved or moved between the different office clients, right? So for a while you were working with the Word add-ins in Office, and now you've moved over to Outlook add-ins. 
that's right. I when I when we started the team, it was like probably around ten years ago, actually. I started driving uh, some of the runtime aspects of the web add-ins, and originally I was uh, I was helping the team to, you know, to work on the JavaScript APIs for for Office, and we actually released the first one um, back in the day. I think it was 2013. That API was uh, a little bit interesting because it it was really a dream of, you know, having the same API for Excel, Word, PowerPoint, and Outlook. And obviously, we very soon realized that that we needed, you know, to to have kind of app specific APIs, and that's when, in 2016, we actually started, you know, Excel API, the Word API, and of course the Outlook API. And I have been lucky to be working in all of them. Actually, I started with Word, shipped uh, three releases of that API, and then I moved to Excel. Uh, when now actually the team was very focused on it and we shipped close to more than 2000 APIs. Uh, so it's now a very rich API set. And just recently, you know, a couple of months ago, I, I, you know, my, my boss told me to jump into Outlook and it's, and it's a different world. You know, it's very interesting how things are here. And uh, it's not that we have, you know, the, that richness uh, in the API jet, but uh, I think the team is more focused in enabling some, you know, very common scenarios for Outlook. And so far, that strategy has been uh, quite successful. Sorry, how do you find that differed as a PM working between those three products? Because, I mean, ultimately, it's Office if, if people are going to put it in a bucket. But, you know, the use cases and of when you use Excel versus when you use Power uh, Word versus Outlook are very, very different. Um, you know, I, I spend a lot of time in Outlook. I spend, well, at the moment, I spend a lot of time in Word with specs and stuff. I don't typically spend much in Excel. And I imagine there's different personas of people that are completely opposite where they spend all their time in Excel and very little in the others. That's right. It's very different. And, and of course, usually in the Excel, you require a very deep integration with the product because the scenarios are are more complicated and in some cases super complicated. And that's when you need a lot of richness in the API. Now, if you're going to be creating an add-in that is going to be doing, for example, Monte Carlo simulations and you're going to be doing a, a new type of chart or, uh, we, you know, we recently were working with, uh, with a partner that is in the map business and man, it's... It's a very complicated logic that you need to keep in, in Excel. And the difference is that in Outlook, uh, I think the scenarios are more simple. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, we are trying to make people more productive within Outlook. Uh, you know, we're trying to avoid, you know, the productivity loss that you find when you're basically switching between Outlook and your CRM systems and, you know, actually checking security or other, you know, scenarios like that, that are very task driven. And I think number one, people use them more frequently because it's more part of their day-to-day job. And for the same reason, they are kind of simpler. No, If you count the number of APIs we have in Outlook, it's, I think, no more than, than 200 APIs. And, and, and we are, we were able to enable quite a bit of, of scenarios that right, right now have been uh, you know, very successful with our customers. Um, so yes, it's it's very different and interesting. What would you say are like 
the fundamental outlook add-ins that you showcase to developers looking to get into this? Like, what would you point them to? Like, I've always had my go-tos, but what are the your ones that you use to promote the APIs and Outlook? Yeah, well, we focus on on three scenarios that are uh, quite popular. You know, the number one, the one that it's at the top in terms of usage is the security add-ins. So these are add-ins that IT folks deploy within their organizations, you know, to train people how to identify, you know, potentially unsafe emails. And that, for example, when you have an attachment, it's not containing, you know, contents, you know, bad content and stuff like that. Those add-ins are used quite a lot. There is another type of uh, category, which I call the kind of CRM integrations. You know, we have add-ins like Salesforce.com or others, Oracle and other add-ins that basically put, you know, in the context of an email, all the information related to, you know, to, you know, the customers that are uh, included as recipients. And, and from there, you can actually trigger operations in the CRM, keep track of your opportunities and deals and stuff like that. Those are very complete add-ins and very, very useful. I mean, people are increasing their productivity quite a bit. And the last group of add-ins that I, that I like a lot are the online meeting providers. Uh, you know, the folks like, like Zoom and like uh, GoToMeetings and others are taking advantage of, you know, our customer base and offering their, their online meeting solutions in Outlook. So. And, and I imagine, you know, with what's going on in the world at the minute with COVID-19, like, are you seeing spikes in some of those add-ins than you would do normally? It's been amazing, Jeremy, what's happening here because, uh, you know, at the beginning of our fiscal year, uh, we have the goal as part of the Outlook Addings team to actually double our monthly active usage. Mm -hmm. And uh, we recently hit the double, you know, a few weeks ago. And one of the things that contributed in a big way to that number is, you know, that we, we show an enormous spike of users using the online meeting providers that we have in Outlook exposed as add-ins. You know, some of them increased uh, 100% their usage or the other 75%. It was, it was, I mean, you can see the spike. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. And I'm super happy to be able to, you know, to help people in these tough uh, times that we are living, you know, to be more productive when they're working from home. And you, you see the direct impact of all the, uh, the work that we're doing here. And from an, from an infrastructure perspective, is there much additional load on the servers that you run? Because it's a lot of client-side tech, right? Like Office JS is all running within the browser communicating to what's in the client. But is there a back-end that's kind of you've had to kind of double up to handle that extra load? Well, the, 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 the Office JS library is exposed as a CDN. So it's really... From our load perspective, it's it's really that is our single point of failure. No, the, this is on the web. It's a JavaScript library exposed to CDN. Most of the load is more on the partner side yeah. because you know web addings are you know their web apps that are being called and and we surface in the, the product. So it's mostly I guess ninety percent of the load is is with the with the actual adding uh, pages rather than in us. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but yeah. So, so you, we want to, to increase the help for those folks that are using specifically online meetings, which seems to be the, the scenario that is spiking right now. 
And actually, there's a feature that we are currently working in Outlook that it's going to provide default online meetings when you create an appointment. You know, now that we have this working from home situation, and of course, our main story there is to use Teams and to use Skype, you know, which are awesome and we want them to be very successful. But the reality of the market is that many customers right now are using other solutions as part of their, you know, enterprise standards. So, so we build a case to, to be able to expose also that possibility for third parties, you know, that, that you can by default create an online meeting in Zoom or GoToMeeting or other online meeting providers. Yeah, that's really good. I, I love the fact that Microsoft take that approach and not, you know, some of our, the others where they like try and lock you into just everything being on their platform. The fact that you can configure it that way is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's great. I mean, we... <laughs> I think we learned, we learned a lesson the hard way. And <laughs> well, I mean, it helps the partners too. It makes it more attractive for the partners to come in when that you know the experience is more seamless to truly extend. Whereas, um, you know, where you know if you give them half a story where they still have to jump over hoops to get their meeting link in an email, it's definitely going to be a lot harder for them to sell that to a customer or for a customer to even use it. Yeah, exactly. So it's about increasing the productivity, no? and. Sometimes that requires, uh, you know, extensions to our products, no? Yeah. And so for the longest time, like Outlook's had a lot, Outlook add-ins have had a lot of features and Andrew Salamtoff is a good friend uh, who's uh, moved on from Microsoft actually recently. Um, looking forward to yeah. seeing what he does in his new career. Um, uh, People AI, I think it is. And, uh, you know, he kind of kicked off a lot of the Outlook add-in stuff. And yes. there were some really cool scenarios for a long time. And, you know, for me personally, my favorite is Fine Time still. Yeah, um, that's an awesome you know, I use that, and actually, I use it a lot now because I'm finding it way harder to find time on people's calendars because everyone's having more meetings working at home. I guess because officially, they can't just turn around and talk to someone; they have to actually, you know, set up time with someone because everyone's schedules are so different mm-hmm. depending on their circumstances working from home. In fact, you schedule this podcast using <laughs> using uh, find time, right? That's right. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, you know, like I use that one the most, I think, out of everything. And, you know, we've built some demos over the years when I was in marketing. But like what's what's new? Like what have what's recently happened in this space that, you know, now you're on the team or what you're planning to um, move forward with that you know people may not be aware of that might unlock scenarios that they maybe couldn't have done in the past with um, without look add-ins. Yeah, 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 I think I agree. Andrew Andrew uh, was a PM originally for Outlook for a long time. And, and, and he, I mean, I think part is because of the work that he did back then during years that uh, now we have this ecosystem. And one common request that was coming from our community is, as you know, today, if you want to use an Outlook add-in, uh, basically it's a user-driven kind of action, no? that you have kind of a ribbon button and you, you suddenly click it and we can show a task pane or run a UI less action, you know, that is part of that scenario. Uh, but one uh, one feature that we've been asked a lot uh, for a long time is how, how can we enable, you know, add-ins to auto-run? And by this, I mean, for example, when you create a new appointment or you create a new email and you're composing an email, that we can actually sus- allow developers to subscribe to those events and, and then, uh, you know, start their addings as a result of it. Uh, so this is something that the team currently is, is um, it's kind of working a lot in to, to enable the scenarios where you can subscribe to those events. 
And the first scenario that we are thinking, I mean, the idea is to enable many events to, to have many different entry points in the Outlook experience. For now, we are only considering uh, Compose, but we are also thinking like, for example, when you add recipients to a meeting or, or, or to a mail, or when you add attachments, or for example, if you change the date of an appointment, or if you do other operations or events that you are able to execute logic as part of your adding. So a scenario like it's 11.30 at night and you go to reply to a mail and you're composing the reply mm-hmm. and an add-in kind of looks at you and goes, Jeremy, come on, <laughs> yes. don't click send. Leave it leave it there till tomorrow <laughs> and sleep on it. That's exactly right. So these are the scenarios. Yeah. In fact, I don't know if you have used the My Analytics feature that we ship with Outlook. Yeah, that's very cool. It's actually very cool. It, it allows you to, you know, for example... Don't schedule a meeting if you know most of your recipients are out of business hours, for example, and it's, it's even kind of giving you real-time information about you know the appointments that you're creating. This uh, feature is actually built on top of our add-in uh, platform, so it's really an add-in that it's been loaded and it's using our APIs. And in fact, many of the work that we're doing it's because we want to we want them to be running on this on this new um, technology and with AutoRun and uh, implement their scenarios. So yes, the, the scenarios for that, it's exactly what you're saying. So it's been able to identify while you are composing a set of, of important information that you can provide, you know. I'd love to have like the DL thing, like, you know, the amount of times we get emails on the Microsoft Graph DL from the field, you know, and it's got like a thousand people on the email and they're asking for help. And it's like, yeah, that's not really the right way to do it. And what's happened over time behaviorally is most people have auto rules where they ignore an email that comes from the DL. Mm-hmm. It's almost to the point where the DL is actually useless because of that. And, you know, the times have moved on now to that being channels in teams where only the people in the channel can communicate and not everyone in the company can kind of hijack the DL. Yes. But I, I imagine there could be nice scenarios with that where it kind of goes, ah, this is the wrong DL. This has got a thousand people in it. Have you considered mm-hmm. this? Yes. Like, there'd be some great things we could leverage that internally at Microsoft for sure. Oh, yeah. And, and they have they have like 10 different scenarios that are going to be using this technology. One, one of the others is, for example, if you're going to schedule a review of a meeting and, you're, and you want to send... I don't know, a, a PowerPoint or a Word document that it's going to be reviewed as part of, of that presentation. Uh, they can provide you more feedback on how to present more effectively or how you can modify your, you know, your content so that it's more consumable. And it's actually very cool. I guess you could do signatures as well, right? Like This is one thing. Yes, absolutely. It's online signatures. Uh, it's a scenario where... Uh, yeah, you know, that we can actually override the behavior that we have in Outlook today that you can, you know, create your signatures and insert them into your creating a new email or your replying or your forwarding uh, message. Uh, it turns out that there are, I mean, if you search for online signatures in yeah. Bing or Google, you're going to find, you know, hundreds of providers that are there in the business of just creating online meetings. And it's... Yeah, I mean, at Ignite, I remember walking the expo floor because I'm always interested to see what partners are, you know, investing in being present and, and having a booth. And mm-hmm. I think I counted, it was like five email signature partners out there. So it's a big business. It's huge. And so I bet they'll be really happy that they can... Um, you know, improve their story by having these more plugs into what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And and the the scenario obviously here is, you know, that when you start composing an email, 
since we're going to have this outer run capability as part of composing, you're going to be able to create your signature if you use it the first time. And if you already have a signature configured, you're going to be able to, you know, as soon as you open the email, you will see the you know, third-party provided online signature, which is quite cool. Yeah, that's cool. Because some of the ones, they'll do it on the way out through the relay server, right? Like it's stamped into the email on the way out, which means you don't see it when you're actually in your Outlook client composing the mail, which that's correct. is not really the best yeah, experience. It's not because the the you know the composer it's ne- never it's never aware of the signature that is stamped until the image yeah. uh, until the email is sent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this this is going to enable. And, and by the way, we're we're providing technologies to also do it like that if you need, if you need to. No, this is a common scenario, especially in compliance cases. Yeah, yeah. That that you definitely want folks to be including. You know, a disclaimer or a specific uh, signature information. You know, in some in some cases, even a legal case that we need to com- to be compliant. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of sales teams all have different custom signatures based on campaigns they're running with various customers as well. So there's, mm-hmm. it's yeah. really good that you're doing that. That's cool. By the way, this is a feature that we recently announced in preview. Uh, I don't know if you you had a chance to to hear our last community call uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we talk about uh, these scenarios now that you can actually try it today. This is in preview. Uh, you can try not only the auto-run events in OWA, so in Outlook Web Access, but you can also try you know, the signature API. So you, you're able to, to implement scenarios like this. We also shipped an API that it's known as Append on Send. That is, it's basically the scenario that I was mentioning of. For example, if you send an email, you can actually uh, insert disclaimers, you know, and this code executes after you click on the send button. So you can actually add either, you know, text or HTML to a message and, and before it's actually sent to the server. That's cool. I'm, I'm adding that to the podcast notes so people can find that. Yeah, I will send you the links. Yeah, that's yeah. great. We, we actually... Just a blog post that talks about it in a lot of detail. Yeah, that's really cool. And then, so what other things are new? Because there was a bunch of stuff at the summit that I'm assuming now that it's been at the summit, there's going to be some disclosure Mm -hmm. um, to public at some point. Like, what other things are you working on? We're going to be working in, and actually it's in build. We're going to talk a little bit more about this, our our virtual build, and that it's coming in a few weeks. But we want to basically continue with the preview announcement that I just shared with you. But also we are we are also planning to to show other interesting stuff. Like for example, our plan is to release Script Lab for Outlook, you know, by build. You know, I don't know if you have used this. Have you used Script Lab? I think you Yeah, so so what is Script Lab? I think we've made two assumptions on the podcast already. And one of them was the what is add-ins, but uh, I think we're pretty much there with this audience. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Script Lab people might not be familiar with. Well, yeah, Script Lab is actually an add-in. It's a web add-in that was created by by my team, actually. And it's a very cool add-in that enables you to to actually write. It's basically a code a code editor that is hosted inside an add-in that is designed for our developers to create scripts. And then they can actually load them within the same add-in and immediately try, kind of almost in real time, all the code that you, uh, that you wrote, you know, the snippets. And uh, of course, the, the, it's a full-blown editor that includes IntelliSense, and it's actually very cool. And then the other capability that it has is that you can actually share those scripts, and you know, with colleagues or with us. You know, for example, if you want to report 
something that is not working as it should, you can create a script and and then we can import it into our in our end and, and run it and find, verify it, right? So historically, this was first released for Excel, Word, and PowerPoint. And Outlook, uh, by the way, this happened a couple of years ago. Outlook, uh, we, we couldn't add support for, for it uh, because we need to do a refactoring in our JavaScript library. But now, now we did it and Script Lab is going to be available for Outlook developers very soon as well. That's really cool. Yes. And, and I mean, it's the easiest way to learn when you can just do it right there and then from within the, within the code as well. So that was available, that's, that's available in the office, office clients, but it wasn't in Outlook because of an architectural thing that we had to wait for. Yes, we, we needed to do some architecture in the JavaScript library. It was more, more like a refactoring more than anything else. Yeah. To support TypeScript. Was that just because Outlook was the first add-in model you did? And, you know, when you did Word, Excel, PowerPoint, you learned from Outlook and evolve? Like, how did that happen? No, the, what happened was that, uh, as I mentioned previously, the, the first release that we had for the API, you know, it used to have a different syntax of what we have today. Today, in Excel, Word, and PowerPoint, we, we actually ship what we call the rich API, which is basically uh, more favoring TypeScript. And it's a kind of a cleaner way to write code, if I may say, for Office JS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Outlook never moved. Outlook yeah. never moved to that model. Outlook kept the asynchronous API that we had originally. So our one requirement for Script Lab was to support, uh, you know, TypeScript. Right, right. Uh, and and the refactoring that we did for the Outlook JavaScript API uh, enabled us to now support TypeScript and. Hence, yeah, that it can be used in script lab. How on earth, when you're refactoring something that large, I know you said there was only 200 APIs, but you know, was there a whole like automated test suite? Like, how did you know that you could flip that switch to move to that, or is it a new Office JS package that you use? No, 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 no. It was it was a switch, no, because we didn't want to break any. Yeah. So the number one requirement for this was to not break anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so. What we did is the first we dog food internally. So there are a bunch of add-ins that are first party uh, running in, in Outlook today. My analytics being one of them who has millions of active users. And basically we were, uh, we were trying it and we were, you know, little by little, you know, increasing the, the amount of, of users who were exposed to this. We also had a few uh, third parties helping us to validate, you know, the, that the new API was working properly. And, and once we were sure that, that it was innocuous, we basically released it. And now it's at 100% everywhere. So. Wow, that's awesome. Yes. Yeah. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. And so just to retrack, and we've done this in reverse order, but like Office add-ins in general and Outlook add-ins, I mean, it's a JavaScript-based model. Yes. Um, how, how do you pitch it in like two minutes? How do you present this as a, a model? Uh, well, in general, the, the idea of, of web add-ins is to be able to create extensions for Excel, Word, or PowerPoint add-ons, uh, but using web technologies. It's basically, you can think about it as an iframe inside of Office. It's an HTML, JavaScript, HTML5, React, that you can actually uh, load within the Office application. And then there is a JavaScript API that you can use from the add-in to actually interact with the product. So the uh, the very uh, th- that's basically an add-in, uh, web add-in. 
Mm-hmm. And, and that means that works on the browser versions of Outlook as well as mobile and desktop? Exactly. So I think this was, yes, this was a kind of a natural evolution of uh, Office extensibility because now, you know, with Office 365, that we have multi-platforms, you can use Outlook in whatever platform you want. And that includes uh, Windows, web, of course, Mac. And, and of course, Outlook is the only endpoint that supports and mobile devices, so Android and iOS as well. Uh, so then, you know, a model was needed, you know, to be able to create these extensions that uh, provided multi-platform capabilities. So you, when you create an add-in, basically the same code, it's basically, it's run once, run every, write once, run everywhere, and also it runs in all the platforms. So that's the beauty of this model, that you can actually create extensions that are running where wherever you want. Yeah, that's cool. Now... I wouldn't be making this podcast bias unless I asked this question, but the notion of calling the graph, the Microsoft graph within add-ins has been one that's been a little bit up and down in terms of a, um, a story. Where are we at in terms of having the notion of Jeremy's in Outlook, he's composing a mail and he's launched a task pane Outlook add-in, but he wants it to go fetch you know, planner tasks to cherry pick to inject into the mail like just off the top of my head that one comes to mind you know what this is a great question because uh, one thing that is very particular about outlook is that you always have to log in in order to get your email mm-hmm. and basically add-ins uh, I, I was telling you it has a minimal set of apis but one thing that it has that is very powerful is that you can actually have javascript apis that enable developers to actually get tokens you know, to call, uh, in this case, Exchange Web Services, but you can call the EWS or you can call the REST API for Exchange or you can call the Graph, you know, for Exchange. We should only be calling Graph. The, 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 don't mention EWS in front of Yina. She might chase you down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, sorry about that, but, but you can do it. And, and, and by the way, there, there are many things that are, by the way, not yet exposing the graph and then yeah that's right that are in those those aws endpoints that's why exactly that's why developers are kind of forced to to use either aws or rest but if if your plan is to use the graph to you know to hit exchange uh, or to get info from the from exchange it's very straightforward you know what it's a little bit more challenging is if you want to use other graph services like for example you want to use sharepoint or you want to use teams or other services, um, for that case, uh, what we are doing, and hopefully we're going we're gonna to ship it soon, man. I, this is going to be, this has been greatly delayed, is that you can use our single sign-on capability for add-ins. And basically what we are doing, or we are trying to ship uh, kind of desperately, is a way that you can kind of use the existing credentials you basically call an API, you establish a, a handshake with, with the graph, you expose to the end user or to the IT admin, you know, the scopes that, that your adding requires, and then you can establish, uh, we can return you a token that it's going to work 100% with the 100% of the graph. Um, so that is something that, that it's coming soon. It's only in last, last stages of polishing, and I hopefully, hopefully I can give you a surprise very soon. Yeah, but but that is a core aspect of of Outlook adding developments. No? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's man. I mean, getting access to all the data in M365 through the graph within Outlook is killer. I think there are so many scenarios where that can be super useful. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we have many partners that are using that for, you know, for example, uploading items and keep them as reference in SharePoint or in yeah, yeah. other places. No? So it's, um, yeah, it's smart. Yeah. Cool. Well, look, thank you so much, mate. That's super interesting. And it, I, when I get time, ha 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 ha, post build. <laughs> <laughs> post build i will definitely have another crack at this because there's a few other ideas i've got for demos with graph that yeah, uh, without look i'd like to get build out so we can showcase both outlook add-ins and and the goes graph scenarios currently for build i'm working a lot with teams tabs and the graph um to showcase some of those yeah. kind of scenarios but yeah, you know outlook is by no means ever going to be dead email will always live on for the variety of reasons i think that's definitely the case i can see teams taking some of the scenarios of how I personally work. Mm-hmm. But the, the challenge is, is getting everyone to move into teams, uh, even in our small group. It's, uh, you know, it's a challenge. Sometimes it's just, you know, you're going to get a response if you send an email or sometimes you send an IM and yeah. they go into the, they go into the, um, the ether, you know, well, let's, let's work on, on, on some content for that, mate. And by the way, we're also going to have a session about, I think there are going to be some sessions in bill that are kind of Q and A's. Oh, cool. We're going to have one session for that about Outlook adding. Um, it's going to be Excel and Outlook add-ins. And by the way, if you allow me to, to send another communication here is, uh, as you know, we, we have our user voice channel. So I will send you the link to, so you can put it in your podcast as well. Yeah, that's perfect. That's part of our core process. You know? we, we go and see what our customers are asking us to do and we put them in our backlog. Yeah, you guys are doing a much better job of keeping up with that than the graph and also in stack overflow because i've just been doing as a, a project as a side across m365 wide and the response rates and slas that office add-ins has on stack as a community thing is incredible compared to where we're at right now and the community knows it for sure yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of say anything out of turn so that's awesome and then actually one little personal note around user voices often i get the you know when is this coming or what's happening here if you go on user voice because you're interested in that feature and you vote for it when pms like one or other people in pitch one's team go and change those features from like out of in review to in backlog to in progress or in preview or in prod, you get those notifications. Um, and I actually use this myself personally sometimes to find out when PMs are doing things because uh, right now with the graph, we we are not great. We're not ahead of that game very well at the moment. I, I remember you had a plan for that, no? To be kind of... Yeah, so we're, we're about to be on the M365 roadmap with all the net news stuff, which is great. We've had um, a few people working on this process internally, and so we're going to get them on the show to talk about it. But yeah, UserVoice is definitely a great way of um, yes. of tracking that and getting those notifications in real time of like when status has changed. So I would go check that out for sure. And it, and it really helps PMs, totally helps PMs to give information on like what your use case is for wanting that feature too. Absolutely, and you know the team, the Outlook team is specifically the Outlook Addings team is, is is specifically working very closely with this. We have resolved, I think, like 120 cases so far that are reported here. You know, requests. Many of them are in the backlog. Many of them, and to respond to your question specifically, I think we we try to do it as frequent as possible. You know, we also have a GitHub uh, channel that I will also send you the link where customers actually report issues that they find with their APIs, with Outlook, with add-ins and other 
um, you know, features we own. And that is also very chatty, you know, space where we, that we keep it open to our customers and, uh, we get amazing feedback from everybody. So I want to thank everybody who's collaborating with us and you really impact our product and our backlog and, and, and we feel great that you are helping us to build better products. It, it makes our lives as PMs a lot easier when we're getting signal. The worst scenario we can be in is having an idea and not being able to validate it. So Yes, absolutely. And then spending six months building it and then crickets when you don't realize that it hasn't made any difference. Yeah, all of a sudden you have a preview that you guys also don't miss our community calls because that's when you get you know the latest on you know, what can you try and what's new and what's coming and other tips, you know, we're giving people a lot of, I think many people, you know, sometimes they don't visualize all the different things you can do. No? So what I'm trying to do mm-hmm. is to use those community calls to, to kind of also share some scenarios that I have seen many successful customers do. And, and you know, in order to trigger ideas, you know, for people to be kind of producing more add-ins and helping our customers. Yeah, I think the thing is, it's not just ISV software vendors that are building these things. Like Mm -hmm. when I was a consultant, you know, there was a lot of cool add-ins that were being built to wrap business processes around things. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of companies where people spend a lot of time in Outlook and being able to have the business process right there rather than launch into something else is, you know, a really cute way of doing it. And so... Mm -hmm. Uh, for enterprise devs listening, like there's t- tons of scenarios there that just absolutely make sense, especially if it's mapped around communication via email with an external customer and, you know, just magic buttons that do things in Outlook that go and set things off in other systems is uh, a time saving of five seconds they're doing a hundred times a day is a huge time saving. Yeah. If you add that, if you add all those seconds at the end of the day, you have, you know, huge, um, uh productivity savings, no? And I think yeah, yeah. exposing logic or exposing, you know, making that easier in the context of uh, emails and that you can actually quickly get your job done, uh, it's a great, you know? That's really cool. Well, look, thanks very much, mate. I appreciate it. And once things get back to normal here, which I think is going to be a lot slower than the rest of the world based on, unfortunately, our numbers still, I'd love to go out for a ride and a beer with you at some point. We're going to do it, man. We're going to do it and, and uh, miss you guys so much, man. I, hopefully we can get back to the office soon and go yeah, back to normal. Yeah, let's, let's hope so. In the meantime, yeah. stay safe. Cool. Thanks very much, mate, and enjoy your weekend. Thank you, mate. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 